0: You're listening to the Luca's Italy podcast, with food, culture and history from the land of Frittata and Ferrari. I'm Luca Marchiori, and today I'll be talking about how a grocer's son became known as the headmaster of Italian cooking. On the 25th of January, 1851, a gang of brigands led by Stefano Pelloni, known as Il Passatore, the ferryman, entered the town of Forlimpopoli in the Papal States and pulled off a daring heist. They entered the theatre, where the great and the good were watching a play called La Morte di Cesara, and they made each person go home in turn, accompanied by a brigand, and give them money, while the rest remained under armed guard in the theatre. In the end, they took a huge amount of money, um... 31,600 scudi, which in today's money is about one and a half million euros. Now, brigands were very common in southern and central Italy of this point and had a sort of Robin Hood status. And this particular event inspired a poem, Il Passatore a Forlimpopoli. The poem has the Passatore himself make a speech in rhyming verse from the stage.
1: La compagnia drammatica, diretta dal Pelloni,
0: The company of actors, directed by Pelloni, with a specially selected repertoire of balls and tromboni, being here in passing for one moment only, conscious of their merits, the favour and the fame which are inspired by the venerable ferryman's name, they want to present a piece which is wise all the same. Cultured and uncultured, you, illustrious gathering, pay attention to this classic, today's dramatic offering. It's a play entitled The Forced Loan.
1: È un dramma intitolato Il Prestito Forzato.
0: Not included in the poem is the other incident that took place in Forlimpopoli that night, where a subgroup of brigands forced their way into the house of the local grocer, pistol-whipping his 31-year-old son and raping one of his daughters, and this was a trauma from which she would never fully recover. It must have been pretty traumatic for the whole family because they decided to emigrate lock, stock and barrel to Florence, which was the capital of the neighbouring state, the Grand Duchy of Tuscany. Fast forward to 1865 and due to a career in trade and banking, we find the grocer's son, now a rich member of Florence's middle class, living in the capital city of the newly unified Italy. His parents having died and his sisters having married, he's living the life of a bachelor, surrounded by books. His fortune has given him leisure, and now he's an aspiring literary critic, working on a biography of the poet Ugo Foscolo, a patriot and early proponent of an independent Italian state. His other love was food, particularly eating. He fancied himself as a bit of a bon viveur, Uh, In fact, he collected many recipes over the years, many dishes that he'd experienced in other Italian states during business trips. He was a real man of his age, a patriotic proponent of the new state, and interested in science, always looking forward to the future. Over the next few years, Pellegrino Artusi, as he was called, published first his biography of Foscolo, and then a commentary on the letters of another Italian poet, Giuseppe Giusti. Neither of the books, however, were bestsellers. As he decided what to do next, the collection of recipes started calling to him and he began to wonder if they wouldn't make an excellent cookbook. And so, he set about writing one. Now, his scientific mind meant that he wanted to test out all the recipes before publishing them and he did this with the help of his cook, Francesco Rufili, who was also a native of Formimpopoli, and his Tuscan housekeeper, Marietta Sabatini. By 1891, he was ready to publish and set about looking for a publisher. The publishing house that had published his two literary books weren't interested, so he tried a second and a third, but all to no avail. Finally, he approached a large publishing house in Milan who sent back a curt reply, we don't publish cookbooks. Artusi then did a very modern thing. He decided to self-publish the book. He had the books printed in Florence and then sold them from his apartment. Now, he sent a copy to a newspaper, which mentioned it in a list of books they'd received, and this boosted interest in the book. And after a bit more similar publicity, sales boomed, and he soon found that he'd sold the entire print run of 1,000 books. By the time he died in 1911, there had been 15 editions of his book, each different from the last, and it had become the most popular cookbook in Italy. Even today, it's still in print, in editions that range from facsimiles of the original book to pocket editions, and it's still a bestseller. In fact, there are a few Italian households that don't have at least one copy. So what was it that made this book so popular and has made it such an enduring classic? Well, the first thing is that the book was aimed at everybody. In fact, it had three titles. La Scienza in Cucina, Science in the Kitchen e l'arte di mangiare bene, and the art of eating well, manuale pratico per le famiglie, a practical handbook for families. So, as you can see, through these three titles, Artusi was appealing to people who took a scientific interest in eating and nutrition, those bon viveurs like him who enjoyed eating well, and also housewives and families. So the tone of the book reflects each of these three audiences. The book is full of scientific facts and figures and scientific terms, talking about um, how digestion works and things like that. For example,
1: il gelato non nuoce alla fine del pranzo.
0: Anzi, giova. Gelato isn't bad for you at the end of the meal. In fact, it helps because it draws heat necessary for good digestion back to your heart. But always be careful. If you're not thirsty, to drink between each course in order to not disturb the digestion, which needs this natural high chemistry to do its work unmolested. As you can see, this quotation appeals to all three of his audiences talking about how the digestion works, but also giving practical tips to people about how to eat, whilst talking about something which was quite decadent at the time, ice cream. Now, most contemporary books were aimed at professionals or were collections of recipes by famous chefs. In fact, one of the publishing houses, when he had tried to get the book printed, said, ah, but who are you? If only you had the name of a famous chef, then we'd be able to publish your book. But Artusi is firmly saying that he is aiming his book at everybody. In the introduction, he wrote, con questo manuale pratico, Basta di sappia tenere un mestolo in mano. In order to use this practical book, you only have to know how to hold a ladle in your hand. Now, as we will see, Artusi receives a lot of correspondence from readers, and a lot of this has been preserved in his archive. And reading the correspondence, the book seems to have been popular with housewives, with servants who've had the book given to them by their employers, and also military officers, most interestingly. In fact, in the 1920s, it seems to have inspired an official cookbook for the Italian army. Now, another thing which made the book very popular is that Artuzzi created a community around the book. When he published the second edition, it contained 100 new recipes, some of which had been suggested to him by correspondents. And he wrote this in the book, which encouraged others eager to see their names or recipes in print to do the same. By the time he got to the third edition, he included his address on the cover in order to facilitate this, and then developed a lively correspondence, much of which, as I said, has been preserved to this day. Now, by the final edition of the book in 1911, there were 790 recipes, which is almost double the 475 of the first edition. So, in later editions of the book, you can find lots of examples of where Artusi says where he got the recipes from, and also references to the correspondence from his readers. For example, in the recipe for Anolini, which is a typical uh, pasta from Parma, he
1: says, A
0: lady from Parma, who I've not had the pleasure of meeting face to face, got married and moved to Milan, and she wrote to me, I will take the liberty of sending you the recipe for a soup which in Parma, the beloved city of my birth, is included in all family celebrations, and there is not a home, I believe, where they don't make the traditional anolini at Christmas and Easter. And again, in a recipe for artichoke cutlets, a few readers were moaning that they couldn't find this recipe in my book, so here it is. And we also begin to get an idea of his pleasure in the fact that his book was becoming popular. For example, in the recipe for Tortellini, it says,
1: I've
0: heard that a judicious lady from a town in Tuscany has had her small kitchen enlarged so she can enjoy herself more while cooking from my book. Now, another reason for the book's popularity is the way it's written. He writes in a very amusing, very entertaining style, and many of the recipes contain little anecdotes, either from his travels, about how he met the recipe in the first place, or little stories like this one.
1: Ho conosciuto un famoso mangiatore romagnolo che, giunto una sera non aspettato fra una brigata di amici. I once met
0: a famous eater from Romagna who turned up uninvited to a friend's house where the guests were about to eat a beautiful pasticcio big enough for twelve people. What? he exclaimed. You're going to serve a pasticcio that would leave me hungry to 12 people? We'll bet you money that you can't eat it all, they said. The clever man quickly set about his work and finished it all. All those gathered were convinced that he would die in the night, but luckily nothing serious happened. His body swelled up so the skin was pulled tight as a drum and he went crazy. He kept rolling over and kept on screaming as if he was about to give birth, but along came a man armed with a rolling pin and used it on the patient like someone working chocolate. He deflated his stomach, into which who knows how many more pasticci would enter.
1: Now, the book was also in the spirit of the times. Remember that in
0: 1861, for the first time since ancient Roman times, Italy had become a unified country. And in fact, Artuzzi attempted to collect together recipes from all over the newly unified Italy. Now, it's true that most of the recipes come from Romagna, his home region, um, and also the cities of Bologna and Florence, where he lived. But also included are cities that he had visited during his travels as a salesman, for example, Turin and Naples. Now, there's a recipe from Sicily, which he says in the book was sent to him by someone who was married to a Sicilian. But apart from that, although the whole of the north of Italy is covered, most of the south, including the regions of Puglia and Calabria, are not. However, it was this will to collect together recipes from all over Italy that has really given the book the title of the first Italian cookbook, because it's the first time in which somebody really attempted to write a book which covered the cuisine of the new nation. Now, the book is also important because it created the modern Italian food vocabulary. Because he lived in Florence, he decided to write the book in the Tuscan variety of Italian, which had in fact been favoured by the architects of the unified Italy as the common language. Back in 1842, when the idea of Italian unification was still a dream, the concept of using the Tuscan language as a language for the unified Italy, was given the boost by the publication of a novel called I Promessi Sposi by Alessandro Manzoni, which, even though he was from Milan, he wrote in Tuscan. Today, this book is one of the most important works of Italian literature, and every Italian student has to study it at school. However, when unification came in 1861, only 25% of Italians spoke this variety, and mindful of this, Artusi included a glossary at the beginning of the book. He calls the glossary "Spiegazione di Voci essendo del volgare Toscano, non tutti intenderebbero," which means an explanation of words which, because they come from Tuscan dialects, not everybody will understand. Now, if you look at this list today, you'll notice that almost every word on the list has become standard Italian, and it includes words such as "bietola." which means beets, crema pasticcera, which means pastry cream, mattarello, which means rolling pin, spianatoia, which is the name for a big piece of wood that Italian people make pasta on, zucchero a velo, which is icing sugar, and the verb panare, which means to cook something in a breadcrumb crust. Now, despite this fame at home and the work being considered one of the great classics of literature as much as of cooking, surprisingly, the book is not so popular or not so well known abroad. And this is despite the fact that it has been translated into many different languages, including English. But perhaps without the context of Italian unification, it's difficult for people to appreciate exactly what this book was, how influential this book has been For all Italian cookbooks which have come after. And I guess without this context, it just seems like an older version of The Silver Spoon, which is the most popular Italian cookbook abroad. Now, I personally love this book, and I have at least three copies, a facsimile copy, a pocket copy, and also a copy on my Kindle. And when I'm researching Italian recipes, particularly traditional ones... Uh, in order to write English versions, I always go and have a look and see if there is a version in Artusi. Those of you that are familiar with my blog will know that I've also done a couple of translations of some of his recipes, which I've included on the blog. It's worth saying that, unlike contemporary recipes from other countries, the recipes still work very well because, because he was very scientific, he wanted to include all the ingredients by weight so that you'd know exactly how much to use. And because Italians used grams 150 years ago, these weights and measures still are useful and still work today. But sometimes I just delve into it in order to read his writing as well, because he is such an amazing writer and writes in such a lovely style as we've seen. When the book first came out, his When the book first came out, the people of Popoli, his hometown, seemed quite unimpressed. In fact, they were having a charity raffle one day, and they wrote to him in Florence asking him for a copy of his book about Ugo Foscolo. And he didn't have any copies, so he sent them two copies of La Scienza in Cucina. And he said that apparently uh, the person who won them in the raffle took them straight to the tobacconists where he put them up for sale. Nowadays, of course, Forlimpopoli is very proud of this connection with Artusi. And in fact, there's a cultural centre, Casa Artusi, which houses his library and also his correspondence. And every year they have an Artusi festival. So, thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And thank you again for the ratings and reviews that you've been giving me online. As I said, Um, I'm going to continue to read them out every week on the podcast. So if you want to hear your review read out, get writing. So this week's review comes from the United States, comes from somebody called MMIDVK. And it's a very simple and short one. It says, terrific. I highly recommend this. So all that remains for me to say is that I'll be back next week with another slice of Italian food, culture, and history. So have a great week. Ciao.